Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. With the world generally opening up, many more of us are enjoying the restaurant experiences we used to enjoy before the pandemic, albeit at a higher price point than before. But you can count yourself lucky if you've managed to find all the smooth experiences with no wait times or problems in either getting seats or, once seated, finding your order that takes much longer than usual uh, to arrive at your table. You only have to watch my doppelganger shows, Gordon Ramsay, on his kitchen coordination to get a sense of the challenges in delivering food to patrons at the appropriate temperature, cooked to specifications, and importantly, on time. When things go wrong, there can be a cascade of problems that might start with one dish and end up with being a whole course, spoilt, or even delayed. If you haven't heard it, get out of my kitchen, as he would say. Compare that to your own kitchen and you're likely to have some version of these challenges, but at much smaller scales and easier to rectify or even head off. All of this reminds me of primary care and makes me wish we had some kind of a Gordon Ramsay lookalike to take on the nightmare healthcare system. I doubt even Chef Ramsay could manage to fix some of these problems in his classical 24-hour approach, but perhaps it needs some level of passion to take this on and address the core challenges and problems throughout. But the analogy goes further than seeking the fixes. Look at any great kitchen and restaurant service and what you find is a team of people that all contribute to the success and smooth running. The main chef is not the only one cooking, and in fact, he may not even cook during every service, but his or her influence is felt at the table all of the time. He has others around, such as his second-in-command or sous-chef that you've probably heard of. But there's a whole host of other folks. The pastry chef, a sauce chef, that list goes on and on. Healthcare, and in particular primary care, needs the same level of teamwork and contributions, typically enabled by technology and workflow design, but essential to deliver the well care into the community to everyone, especially to those that are in need, suffering from chronic conditions, or lacking equitable access. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Dr. Christopher Crow. He's the CEO and co-founder of the Catalyst Health Group. Hi, Christopher. Thanks for joining me. Pleasure to be here. So you've got an interesting business model. You're approaching things around primary care and the delivery of uh, wellness, essentially, uh, to a broader population. But one of the things that strikes me about this is it sounds like some of the care that we hear about, and I think people are familiar with, with concierge care. Is that what you're offering? 
Well, the, the name concierge often connotes uh, something for an, uh, a higher socioeconomic uh, population. And so no from that standpoint, but the ideals of concierge care of, of hey, I'm, I'm available to you anytime, any place to, to provide the services you need in your health journey. Well, then the answer to that is yes. Yes. And in fact, ironically, we often and for years have called our business uh, concierge for the common man is is if it's really uh, something that's valuable to uh, only people that have a certain amount of wealth. How might we make, you know, something that's a big term right now from a health equity standpoint? How would we reimagine those same services being available to everybody? And if you think about in America, really around the world, studies that show over and over and over again, when individuals have a long-term relationship with their primary care physician or provider, that it leads to longer life, lower total cost during that life, and more good days than bad, which you might call presenteeism if you're an employer. Why wouldn't we try to scale that across America? And so that's, that's where we've been pushing you know, my entire career to really help our communities thrive is our main purpose through trying to bring this idea of advanced primary care, concierge for the common man, uh, to our communities. So you've got to love that. I mean, I think, you know, your approach is very much about well care versus the sick care system that we have. Um, it, it's not servicing the needs. I think you only have to talk to anybody, your neighbors, uh, anyone. I don't think people have positive experiences when they intersect with the system. But you talk about this relationship and, you know, expanding the role of the primary care physician. We've seen attempts at that, but it's difficult, right? It's not well-funded. It's a challenge to get there. How are you going about this? Where did you start and where are you now? Well, that's a that's a longer conversation. Let's see. Let's let's try to get to a, a big a big point here that, that I think is the most critical is that, yes, we people have been trying to talk about the value of primary care and how to um, uh, equip them to do these things that they could be potentially optimized to do in the power of a relationship. And you're right. We think relationships are what makes the world go around. It's our number one core value that relationships matter. We talk about relationship compounding the same way interest compounds. If you can make one degree better choice about your health every single year because of you and your physician's relationship, that compounds over time. And that's what leads to that longevity and total costs and more good days than bad. What's underpinning the American healthcare system um, that drives everything is, is the financial model of, of fee for service. And in a lot of places in healthcare, it makes a lot of sense. Anytime there's transactional type things happening in healthcare, fee-for-service makes a lot of sense. Anytime there is a relationship in business, any business, then you really need to think more about, you know, what's been called in the past, capitated, and everybody freaks everybody out, a subscription model, an ongoing payment model to match the actual interaction of the service being provided to the customer by the, by the provider. And that's, a, that's more of a subscription model of, of, of payment. And in the fee-for-service transactional model, then all the things that a relationship can bring are not either not available or the provider has to fight 
against natural financial incentives very, very hard to actually deliver some of those things. And it really ends on the physician because there's not a, in terms of teams and technology, fee-for-service doesn't have extra payments to say, hey, go add some team members or a care coordinator or hey, put some more technology in and here we'll kick in extra for the fee-for-service. The fee-for-service doesn't allow for any type of innovation uh, in, in that way. And you're really stuck in a model that puts everything on the physician, which is why you see the burnout, which is why you see elevated costs because primary care is not able to provide that upstream relationship regularly with their with their patients to keep people more well and this and so therefore we default in America to a sick care business business of fee for service so i the, there's there's a lot to unpack there but i think in in general terms you know the principle of that um uh, compounding the relationship. I mean, I, I don't think I've heard that term. I've got to say I love it because as I think about interest and interest compounding, it's one of the things that we know. And, you know, it should go all the way back to the point when you don't have financial troubles and you're not trying to retire. And I think that's the same principle here is that we need to start at that point. We've struggled with this, quite frankly, in, in the United States to actually get that model enabled. But you seem to have approached this, and I know you've been at it a while. What were the steps and, and how do we get everyone to this point? Because ultimately, as I listen to you, I go, well, that's the kind of care I want. Yeah, it, it, it's really hard and it, and it takes time. And, and a lot of it's around the, the, the financial incentives of fee-for-service have been around so so long that it's it's really um, kind of gotten kind of, con con it's gotten like concrete. <laughs> in uh uh in, into the status quo so it's really hard to pull back I, I tell this physicians all the time and i was a practicing physician for 12 years super successful in in, in fee-for-service model before i, I kind of started to move out and begin to dream about how things could be better in communities and what i tell what i often explain to physicians is that they're stuck in a stockholm syndrome that they don't realize that that they're they're cap they're captured um, by fee-for-service, and there's actually another way you could take better care of people. They can't even imagine it. Like, it's hard for them to think about that. So that it takes a long time. And so I started imagining it 15 years ago and slowly finding ways. With, and luckily, I was in a point in, in, in our country where you had a recession. You had this discussion of Obama and Obamacare freaking everybody out that ultimately created a lot of uncertainty. But on the other side of uncertainty, I had built a little mini, well, you know, the first medical home uh, for NCQA level three in the whole nation. And, and after the Affordable Care Act, all of a sudden, primary care was on top and all these value-based models was connected to a physician-patient relationship in primary care. There's that word again, right? It was connected to that relationship. So there's starting to be a, a, a cognizant move towards the, the, the value of that relationship. That's only so over time, the big moments were doing some early pay, uh, PCMH contracts where we had some gain share wins because we put a little bit of care coordination in and start thinking about, hey, maybe we don't need to send to a surgeon first for back pain. Hey, maybe we need to not, you know, uh, um, 
you know, tell people about the 24 hour ERs versus an urgent care. Hey, maybe we don't need to send people to MRIs and colonoscopies in hospitals versus outpatients that you just started being aware. And the physicians were, were like, wow, that's really interesting new news. And if I think of myself as responsible for my patients financially too, if I can start thinking that way, then I have a, I have a moral responsibility to potentially act a little bit different, even in a fee-for-service model. So that the awareness around those costs started to come online with, with those type of contracts. And then if you fast forward, Medicare did some really, you know, for, you know, the Medicare Advantage gets a, um, is a, is, is certainly a lightning rod in America, but uh, what it has created the opportunity is to push some risk to provider groups and primary care. And now with the, with the, uh, you know, MSSP, a lot of people like it. It was still fee for service for me. So I, I, it still was creating the Stockholm syndrome because although there was great opportunity to make money, it was 18 months later and it's not connected to when the actual activity is happening with the physician and the patient. And so while it was a nice iteration, I think the ACO reach model, which has plenty of problems with it too, but the ability to take more risk and, and have a, a subscription type model is beginning to let these physicians see, wait a minute, when you, if you start paying me monthly, then, then all of a sudden I can rethink how care is delivered. I am no longer encumbered to make a dollar to a time and a place of a 10 by 10 exam room that someone who's sick has to, or elderly, and has a many hard times getting here, come into my 10 by 10 exam room with the crinkly paper and the uncomfortable bed to, to talk to me while I look at my computer. Like that, no, like that's the Stockholm syndrome that we're locked into. You can unlock time and place and care can be anywhere. COVID helped so much with that. It, 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 it unveiled the, the fallacy a fee for service got physicians even more freaked out. It got them more comfortable having conversations um, on Zoom or Teams with with their constituencies, and it allowed for our model that I've built eight years ago of these virtualized extended care teams living inside the electronic medical records, i.e., augmented by technology that becomes available when you can change it to a subscription model. You change the operating model and slowly our physicians are starting to go, holy smokes, it's not all on my shoulders. And actually, I deliver better care when I have a team that's supporting me with my most difficult patients. And there's technology for us to efficiently communicate with the patient as part of the team or and or their caregiver as part of the team. There's more people involved in this relationship now. And as more people are involved in the relationship the, the patient actually becomes more known. Trust grows. What happens when trust grows? Relationships improve. Therefore, you have a better chance to have the behavior economics that we all want around behavior change. Now the compounding maybe doubles. Now you're 2% per year that you might be able to do because you have teams and technology that are supporting this physician-patient relationship and the financial models are encouraging you to use innovation to figure out, since you're at risk, how you can better care for them. Meanwhile, half your patients are coming in every day in the, in the commercial fee-for-service model, and you have to go back to something that, interestingly, my physicians are saying no to more and more. I've got about a thousand PCPs. Seven years ago, many of them said, I do not want to take any Medicare patients. Why? Because it's fee-for-service. It's my lowest contract. They're the hardest patients. I don't want to do it. 
fast forward six, seven years later, I have some of my best physicians saying, I don't want to take any more commercial patients. I don't want to do any more fee-for-service. It's, so it's very different. We have reached that midpoint in our business to where we'll have a lot of our physicians next year that will have half of their revenue be in this you know, concierge for the common man subscription model that includes you know, monthly, obviously, payments, but then you know, the gain shares that come with that on a, on a little bit more forward basis so it's connected uh, while they're still doing you know, their, their, their fee-for-service work. But we finally have pushed that. And I think with inflation rates in America that are going to then get to healthcare and ultimately get to the employers and then get pushed down to the patients, I think this idea of, of primary care subscriptions for, for, for companies where, that we've been in dialogue with for years are really going to be ready for, for prime time. And I think you'll see, um, um, hopefully, the delivery of healthcare get even better in communities, which then unlocks that lowest socioeconomic status that doesn't have access to care right now that allow us to then have a platform to offer lower and lower um, subscription rates to reach more and more people um, in a virtualized way where there's healthcare deserts. So I'm, I'm kind of going back to, to something you, you, you mentioned earlier and kind of connecting the through of what's possible second order when this first order change happens. So, I, I, I mean, there's a lot to like there in terms of, you know, the model, the success that you've had, that inflection point, it sounds like, you know, underpinning this in terms of some of the things that you needed to do was technology, but it wasn't the primary thing. That was just the connector or the, the, the pipes, if you like, but creating the team to deliver that. So I, I guess the extension of the individual at the center of this, which is the patient and the physician, is that a, a fair sort of assessment? Yeah, to me, it's, it, it, it's fundamental um, from a business standpoint. I mean, teams and technology can, supported by technology, can always do better. You know, whether your sports analogy is, is NASCAR <laughs> and having a pit crew that can get in and people in and out in eight seconds versus if it was the pit chief, having to do that all by himself, they might be, they might be there at the pit for an hour, right? Or, or if you do a cooking analogy, you know, a single chef that's awesome can run a little business with a few tables versus a team that has a sous chef and all these specialists, what they can deliver for fine dining, right? And so it's no different in primary care. We're just humans, right? So if you can do better in, in, in teams and technology, the the, the problem is the underpinning of the financial system doesn't reward you to today on the fee-for-service side, doesn't reward you to create those teams and technology. The, the, the process of building the teams and the technology that's available today is, that's not the hard part. The hard part is actually getting the financial model to change. And, and that's connected to winning the hearts and minds of the physicians and the expectations of, of, of patients um, that are radically different in these two different financial incentive models. So I, I gotta say, I love the Stockholm model analogy because I think there's a lot to to, <laughs> to recommend it. I don't know that that's the right term, but you know, it, it, it relates. Um, but as I listen to you, you know, and you've, you've had this long pathway to get to this point, but you've reached an inflection point where 50%, but it sounds like for those folks, they're essentially walking in and out of that model, and we need to accelerate that process because ultimately you don't ever want to go back. How do we get to that point? Yeah, one of my favorite uh, sayings is variance equals cost, right? And uh, 
And so when you're having to have the old one foot in each canoe that everybody talks about all the time, you know, there's just, there's just no way around it. And I tell my physicians that I'm like, Hey, this is a journey. Um, you can't flip the switch overnight. It requires massive changes that we thank goodness we've seen it. It's one time where the government has actually led, you know, there's all kinds of issues on the employer market when you have turnover of people, plus you have turnover of plans that makes it really hard to invest long-term. So, you know, the changes that are needed over there are hopefully going to, going to come. We've been talking about them for 10 years. It's hard as the, as a, as a, a, a provider to be able to force those chains when there's market influences. However, I think the market influences plus the, the, the capabilities that we now are having because we've reached that 50-50 point, I now can start to show performance and, and, and teach capabilities to the market of like, look what's available if you, if you financed this differently. It, you don't have to pay more, you just have to pay differently. And look at the results that that would unlock. And my physicians um, and, their, and their staff would, would, would love it. And it sounds like, and I, I don't want to assume because you never know, but my sense is, particularly with the fee-for-service model and, you know, as you described the sort of experience, I think eloquently, um, including the crinkly paper, which I hadn't heard, but, you know, I, it, it resonates. And, you know, the physician focusing on the technology all contributes to this huge burnout issue that, you know, I, that's not what I went to medical school for. I hear that repeatedly. It sounds like this is not only delivering better care, but also allowing those individuals to return to loving their job. Oh, you got it. You got it. Yeah, they are. The physician, as, as they get closer and closer to realizing they've been in the ones that are realizing, oh, my gosh, I have been in Stockholm syndrome. That, and wait a minute, let me look outside. And you're telling me the subscription model, oh, it's not necessarily capitation of the 90s. Or if you're younger, you're used to SaaS type businesses and everything you do in, in life as a consumer. They are beginning to feel empowered to say, wait a minute, I can actually think about what's best for my patient. Like, think, think how radical that is to actually say that, that what, do you, what do you mean your, your physicians haven't been thinking about what's best for my patient? No, that's right. They're in fee for service. They have to get to the next room. They really can't think about what's best for you other than a second. And then they move on. In a subscription model, you can begin to organize and go and look at data and say, hey, where do I have opportunity to invest? How about a home care program? How might I work with the local nephrologist on, on how we think about dialysis? That seems to be a high spin. What if I brought a cardiologist on board from a, and a psychiatrist on board from a teleavailability standpoint to help screen things differently than just referring things to a, to a cardiology. I mean, they're beginning to think about things that they, and they're using their brains in ways that's feeling, makes them feel very empowered. It's powerful to watch them light up again. And, and then with that, the burnout, they don't, they don't mind hard work. They just want to feel like it's meaningful, impactful. And, and they're beginning to be, believe that they could feel that. And they're seeing it in the Medicare patients that used to say no to, who need them the most, actually, and from a relationship standpoint, and they're able to now focus on them in ways that they're feeling that impact and the joy of the, that is coming back to what brought them here. Exciting times. We're talking 
uh, the, the potential to essentially open the door, see the rays of sunlight for the original intent that most people went into healthcare and, you know, into medical school to deliver that care to those that are most in need across the board, including the health equity issues and those that are underserved. And great news, they don't have to go through the 15-year learning experience. They can benefit from all the lessons that they've learned from you. Christopher, thanks for joining me today. Hey, it was great being with you. Much appreciated. We have been talking about the shift from fee-for-service, which is working against the ideals and intent of primary care to improve healthcare outcomes, to a better model of value-based care. There is a better way, which starts with building the associated support team that creates more community and improves outcomes while satisfying the work environment for the very staff we need to retain in our health service. As you heard, like financial interest, it has a compounding effect on relationships, amplifying each interaction and creating trust, relationship compounding. Your better pill to swallow is to create concierge and accessible primary care services that cease focusing on billing codes and activity and shift to the focus everyone wants, that of the patients and their best wellness and health interest. This type of service is not just great medicine that delivers great care, it's also the best use of available resources we have to keep our community, family and friends well and happy. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HC Upside Down. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.